strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time. As you just heard during the newscast, the President of the United States expected to speak this morning at 11.15. We're going to take that live at KTAR News. So uh, it's a good time for you to download the KTAR News app to any device you have. It really is the only news uh, uh, app that I use on my phone. You'll be notified when breaking news happens. If it's happening on the air, you can listen from the device. If it's something that's on our website, you can just click on a link and go there. So you'll be notified when the president speaks and can listen live from your device. Just download the app. It is very, very simple and easy to use. Uh, president Biden is, is going to do this. Here's part of an ABC News um, report on the proposal that, that uh, is expected to be made by the president. Sources are saying that they're looking at forgiving up to $10,000 in loans for people who make $125,000 a year or less. They're also looking at extending this federal moratorium on student loan debt. That's been in place throughout much of this pandemic. And really, it could end up meaning that millions of Americans could have zero debt and millions more could have that debt reduced by half. There's so much here to kind of take in uh, the direction we're going here with with giveaways, because the question or somebody just posted on uh, Twitter today asking a question of me, just kind of a, a rhetorical but sarcastic question. If you're going to do this loan forgiveness, why won't you forgive the loan on my big vehicle I had to buy to drive my family around? Or I've talked about small business loans. Um, there are a lot of people that do things. And uh, the question is, why should they then? Uh, I have a friend who um, is in the construction world and has seen the crash and survived the crash with his business. I have a few friends that are still in construction, but one in particular um, he owns. I've talked about him many times because he was such a mentor to me, not just in business, but just in things in general, the way he handled things and um, almost lost everything. A couple of times, I think. And he's told me about being immensely in debt and paying his debts back to people. Um, But when it comes to his kids, he put his kids through college and made sure that his kids were able to go to college debt free because he was able to do that financially. And it wasn't something that was easy for him, but he was in a financial situation where he could do it. Well, nobody cares about him, right? Why? Why would you care about him? He has money. He had enough money to pay for college. Boo-hoo, I don't worry about him. Well, that's just not fair. These are people that pay huge amounts in taxes. They employ hundreds of people, and they paid for their kids to go to college. I work with so many people here in this building that are graduates from Cronkite, and they are really the best in the business. I know people that have paid their way through college, that they they graduated from college with little or no debt because they worked their way through college. I've told the story about one of my friends growing up who was the most disciplined young man I knew who did everything to get out of high school and do it the right way. He went to a community college to start with to save some money before he went on to university. Then after university, he went to law school and is now a very successful lawyer in Florida. And when we were all that age, I was working already, and he was in college. Every time he wasn't in college, he didn't go away on spring break. He didn't go off and do anything else on the, during uh, vac- you know vacation times or breaks from school. He worked. He worked as a waiter, and he saved his money, and he paid his way through school. What do you say to those people? Why should they work as hard as they've worked to pay their way through, to, through school, and somebody else gets a pass? This doesn't make any sense to me. And so this is what my fear is. There will be companies out there that are struggling, businesses that are struggling that say, wait a minute, I took out loans 
to expand my business and for my business to survive. And I've been paying those loans off forever. Well, who's going to forgive my loan? You know, I'm not ashamed to talk about the, the financial troubles I was in, but it was fair. You know, it was I made bad decisions. But my business, when the market crashed, wasn't my fault the market crashed. Um, I probably could have dug myself out of the financial hole I was in had the market kept thriving the way it was. But it didn't work out that way. 2007, 2008, it crashed. And um, I lost everything. And I was in an immense amount of debt. And I'm not saying this uh, it's not a, in a boastful way, but I paid my debt. I didn't file bankruptcy, and it took me a lot of time, and I had to walk into uh, creditor's offices with a check in my hand back when you did it that way, and every week or every month walk into their office and say, hey, listen, it's not everything, but I'm going to be back next week, or I'm going to be back next month. You're always going to get a check from me, and I did that until the the debt was paid down. I didn't expect anybody was going to come and, and bail my debt out, and so – are we going to go down that road? Because that's the road that we all fear. When we talk about the, the road to socialism and government control, this is where fairness plays in, right? This is where everybody's going to work. Everybody's going to prosper. Every, it's, it's, it's guaranteed outcomes. This is the first big step in that direction with student loan forgiveness. And for everybody out there that wants to take advantage of this student loan forgiveness, and I mean this very sincerely – you may not be paying for your education right now because your loan would be forgiven, but you will be paying for the college education of every generation that follows you. You may have been someone that worked very hard to earn your degree, have a higher grade point average than you thought you were going to, learned a lot, got a degree, applied your degree and became very successful. That doesn't guarantee that the other person that you're paying for down the road takes it as seriously because usually when you're paying for it yourself, you take it more seriously. If it's costing you, you cherish it a little bit more. I hate this on so many levels. I think it is absolutely the wrong direction for this country to go. Education has become so immensely expensive. Now what are you going to do? You're going to forgive loans for some people. What about the rest? 125 grand? I mean, that's not a huge amount of money. You've got middle class families that are not going to get bailed out here. So how much higher do you go? Because there are a lot of people that are saying that this doesn't go far enough. We are not teaching children to read and write in our public school system, and now we're going to bail them out on their college expense. We are not helping these people by doing this. We are not helping our country by doing this. This is an absolute wrong direction to go, not to mention the fact – I'll just read one headline. uh, Biden student loan cancellation would cost $330 billion and largely help the wealthy, according to a report. And this is the analysis from the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School. Reveals That's not me. That's academia saying this. So this is going in the absolute wrong direction. And I, we'd better keep our eye on it because this is just the beginning. Because if we're going to give the handout here, other people are justifiably going to stand up and say, what about me? If you're going to forgive that debt, what about this debt? Minority-owned businesses. Startups. I took a risk, and it didn't work out the way I wanted it to. Now I can't get out of this debt. I'm on the hook. I'm going to have to file bankruptcy. It's a slippery slope, and we are heading, we are heading down it very quickly. In a moment, Dr. Fauci uh, <laughs> doesn't like people pointing the finger at him. We're going to talk about what he had to say about shutdowns in just a couple of moments. 
strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. I appreciate you spending some time with the show. Um, I want Dr. Fauci is stepping down and he's making the rounds in the media and getting a little bit a uh, little bit uh, antsy with people. He was on with Cavuto and it's interesting. Uh, there's two cuts here and Neil Cavuto was asking him about the shutdowns and uh, asking him about regrets. And it was an interesting this was an interesting give and take. So looking back at some of those decisions, including masks, you were first opposed to them, then you embrace them, uh, the severity of, of the epidemic itself and completely shutting down uh, virtually the entire American economy. Do you regret particularly the last one, the shutdown, the sweeping shutdown that some yeah. said made things worse? <laughs> No, I, I, I don't, uh, Neil. And in fact, I think we need to make sure that your listeners understand I didn't shut down anything. <laughs> no, you just recommended that everybody else shut down everything. Um, so that he's not I, 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 he's not taking responsibility there. You know, I didn't shut down anything. He goes on to explain why he's not responsible here. There was a lot of consideration among the White House task force that we were reaching a point where the hospitals, such as in New York City and other places, were being strained to the point of practically being overwhelmed. And when Dr. Burks and I came with the proposal that we take 15 days to essentially get to the point where we slow, if not shut some things down, not completely, and the record will show, Neil, that we didn't recommend shutting everything down. We wanted to cause a pause to remember the terminology to flatten the curve. But in retrospect, and we did that. <laughs> It was two weeks to flatten the curve that took two years. We, we, we effectively shut down two school years. Public schools are still, there are public school districts that are still masking kids. Can I, let me just explain to you, first of all, what a, what a maniac I am when it comes to this COVID stuff, because it drives me crazy. Every Wednesday, the uh, Arizona Department of Health Services updates its COVID website. They used to do it every day. Now they do it every week, and it comes out Wednesday morning at about 8.30. And every week, I still write down the statistics. And you want to hear what happened again this week, consistent with everything else? First of all, the positive test rate fell to 11%. It's been up around 20, 22, 23% for a long time. So the good news is it's down around 11% positive test rate. Um, but I want you to hear the differences here. Um, there were 2,162 new cases of people under the age of 20 reported. Now, we know that's an underreporting because with home tests now, not everybody's reporting their results. But there were over 2,100 new cases. There were 1,300 cases or far less of people over the age of 65. There hasn't been a death of anybody under the age of 20 in months, at least a month, probably closer to two. There were no deaths of anybody under the age of 45. None. None. There were 58 people that died this week over the age of 65. The total has fallen over because of you know matching with birth certificates. The number of people that have died under the age of 20 is 68. It was up at 70 a couple of weeks ago, but those numbers were dropped off because they, they, they must have gotten the ages wrong. But 68, 
is the number of people that have died under the age of 20 since the very beginning of COVID-19 was being recorded. There have been over 22,000 over the age of 65. When it comes to hospitalizations, there have been 5,166 people hospitalized for COVID-19 under the age of 20. Now, they were either hospitalized for COVID or they had COVID while they were in the hospital. But these are hospitalizations connected to COVID-19, 5,100. There have been over 50,000, 50,000 over the age of 65. And yet. Look what we did with our society. Look who we paid attention to. Kids, we're still doing it. Schools are still fighting about masks. This is an absolute, uh, and this falls right on the shoulders of the CDC and Dr. Fauci and the recommendations that they make. And they admit, the CDC admits they got it all wrong. Fauci is now doing the media circuit, defending himself and saying he didn't get it wrong. They got it wrong. Now, there's an, there is part of getting it wrong because it was so new. The over- um, I, I guess the the overreaction that comes, like we talked about HIV when it first happened. For those of you old enough to remember how that altered our lives um, when we found out about HIV, how deadly the AIDS virus when it went from HIV to becoming full blown AIDS and people died. It was it was a death sentence, and as as. They learned more and more about the spread of that virus. They did exactly the opposite they're doing now with monkeypox, and they did the opposite when it came to COVID-19. Instead of saying to everybody, protect yourself, but especially you if you're in this group, whatever that group is, we know that you are the group that is most susceptible to this. We don't do that now. Now they're telling people, the CDC is telling people to wear masks for monkeypox. Well, we all know how it spreads, but we can't say that. That's politically incorrect. So instead of you say follow the science, well, the science is politically correct. It's just it's just kind of bothersome is the only way I can put it. What we're going to do just after the news at 935, we are going to talk about how these soft on crime policies are uh, turning out for places. We have a report from Northern California on the, the percentage of people that commit crimes after being let on bail. The number is staggering. We'll get to it coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate uh, appreciate you being with the show this morning. Um, soft on crime policies is something uh, that is uh, been an issue across the country. There's a couple of stories that stuck out at me this morning. One of them is about Seattle. A Seattle Times columnist um, irked some people in the city of Seattle because he was focusing. His name is uh, Danny Westneat. Wrote, I realize it's awkward for Seattle on the liberal project right now that crime here is soaring, but it is. How about this for a statistic? A district attorney in Northern California revealed that more than 70 percent, that's seven zero, 70 percent of suspects who are released on zero bail between 2020 and 2021 in this country went on to commit new crimes. When over 70 percent of the people released under the mandated zero bail policies go on to commit additional crimes, including violent offenses such as robbery and murder, there is simply no rational public safety related basis to continue such a practice post pandemic, especially in light of the increasing violent crime rate across California. That's the Yolo County District Attorney Jeff Riesig uh, said in a statement on Monday. 
And this has been a frequent topic for me because, again, I am not a heartless person, and I am also someone that believes in redemption. I believe that people can change. I'm different now at 55 than I was at 45 or 35 or 25 in many ways. I'm a different person. I was a maniac at 15. I wasn't a criminal, but I I didn't listen to, nor did I care to listen to, nor did I plan to uh, want to plan ahead. Nothing. I, I found myself in situations that I just didn't care. I, I really didn't care about making mistakes. I'll pay for my own mistakes, and I made plenty of them. I'm a little bit different, I hope, at 55 than I was at 15. And I think that's a shame when you hear about kids that have gone the wrong way, that maybe in their heart are good people, but they've gone, gotten in with the wrong crowd, they started doing the wrong things, and they end up paying for it with their life. And you think it's a shame that that young person either went to prison or that young person lost their life before they had a chance to realize they were going down the wrong road. And if we look at things like that and try to change those that direction before it goes too sideways, I'm all in favor of it. But once you commit a criminal act, there are so many things that have to happen, I think, in my mind that are not happening in some of these places. One of them is society deserves to be separated from that person or that person separated from society, that we should be kept safe. And yes, we are innocent until proven guilty. But when you are arrested and charged for a crime and you get to go out without any bail whatsoever – and then you go out and you commit more crimes. You got to you got to look at the system and say if I were that second victim, I would feel even angrier and more violated. This person has shown a propensity for criminal behavior. There has been no punishment handed out at all. At all. And what we're doing now is just allowing them back on the streets without any repercussions and it shows them first of all it tells the person that's been wronged that You know, street justice might have been the way to go, um, which is not the message we should be sending. But the other part of it is what about what about for the criminal themselves not getting a message that we're taking it seriously, that if you commit a crime against society, society is going to lock you up. There are serious repercussions. Any of us out there that lived um, uh, under disciplinarian parents. You know, you don't like it. I have a friend who who has done some – we used to do some crazy things when we were kids, and we were talking recently. I hadn't talked to him in years, but we keep in touch on social media, and we had a phone conversation. And um, he made an interesting comment about n- not having discipline when he was young, that his parents didn't really discipline him, and he's different with his kids. And he you know, he had a little bit of regret in his voice that he, there wasn't discipline in his house. It was great when we were kids. We had a lot of fun when we were kids. Um, but being corrected by your parents, the big mistake that parents make a lot of times is being buddies with their kids instead of parents to their kids. And that doesn't mean you don't love them, and that doesn't mean they don't know that you love them, but you're not their buddy. You are there to make sure you correct their behavior, that you guide them to adulthood, that they get to be adults with you doing the best you can, and there's no guarantee that that child is going to turn into a responsible adult because you held them accountable for their childish behavior when they were kids. Well, we do the same thing in society, that once you are an adult, even when you're a, you know, a child criminal, but when you're an adult – When there are certain rules in society and you've got some society, some parts of society that are disciplinarians that say, hey, listen, um, no offense, but if you break these rules, you're going to pay a big price. That risk and reward is something you learn when you're a child. 
I use the example of robbing banks and cheating on your taxes. Why do people usually not do it? Because they're terrified of the consequences. You know, minimum mandatory federal sentences for robbing a bank. Mm, I don't think I want to go that road. Doesn't mean you're not a criminal. Just means that's not one I want to take that chance. Nobody wants to get that letter from the IRS. Nobody wants to have that happen to them. So when these things happen to us, this is where um, we look at these situations and say if we are not – if, if the people we employ, we either hire or elect to offices, if they're not going to do their job, then they should get a different job. I respect an activist even if I don't agree with an activist. If you, if you are willing to stand up and take the figurative arrows for standing up for what you believe in, I respect you. I really do. Even if I don't agree with you, it's not easy because you're going to get criticized from all sides. You are going to get it. People are going to be out to get you. And when you stub your toe, it's going to be big news because you're an activist and you put it out there where you stand. So I respect activism, even if I don't agree with it. But when you have a job to do, you've got to do that job. And if you say, well, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to do that or we're going to do this and it backfires, you're taking a lot of people down with you. And in these jurisdictions where these district attorneys or county attorneys, whatever you want to call them, where they have said we are going to be soft on crime, we're going to take a new approach and a new policy toward this, and crime skyrockets in that area. And you see it's the very same people that commit the same crimes over and over and over again. And you do nothing about it and change your policies. You're doing a disservice to the people in your community. And this is a topic that I will continue to talk about forever and ever and ever because it doesn't make sense to do it any other way. It absolutely doesn't. What we're going to do in a moment is uh, talk schools. They had big elections in Florida. What exactly happened? And some stories of schools where parents are saying, I mean, you got to do something about this. And what's being said about them is shocking. We're going to get to that coming up in just a couple of moments. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. And thanks for being here. One of my favorite topics to discuss is education, public education. And it's because I was very blessed as a young person. Um, I'm talking elementary, middle school, to have great educators working with me. There were great high school educators as well. I was just completely disinterested in high school. I was working at the time. My parents got divorced. And I was just one of those rebellious teenagers that just didn't care about anything but growing up and working. It is truly probably the only regret of my life that I did that at about 12 years old. I made the decision that I just wanted to grow up. And uh, it was unfortunate because if you've listened to me tell jokes, I haven't grown up. And I also uh, gave away a big part of my youth that I wish I could have had back. And part of that is, a, is, is an education that would have been better had I paid more attention. But at least I had the tools. That to me matters more than anything, giving children the tools to learn. By the uh, third grade, you should be reading at a third grade level. Up to third grade, you learn to read. After third grade, you read to learn. Biggest skill. And so we've got a big fight in this country about what happens at school boards. So in Florida, um, they had a bunch of uh, school board um, elections that were going on. And the Florida school board elections have been a major political battleground this cycle with big names like Ron DeSantis and Byron Donalds making endorsements and joining on the campaign trail. One of the things that I think is very good about what we've seen recently with COVID-19 and with uh, at-home learning and that parents have been taking a, a renewed interest in 
the school boards. And I will tell you why that's a good idea. When it comes to election time, when we get to the general election, um, I get asked by people all the time about certain things. What do you know about this? What do you know about this person? And I never tell anybody how to vote. But I always get asked about judges and school board candidates. Now, I'll tell you, um, much to most people's surprise, I've never been a defendant in a court case, criminal or civil. So I don't know a whole lot about the judges. So I can't help you there. Um, My guesswork is as good as your guesswork on the judges. Um, But school board candidates, isn't it fascinating that even if you don't have children in the school system, your tax dollars pay for the school boards or pay for the schools in our district. And we are electing people that are choosing curriculum and choosing rules and choosing all kinds of things, superintendents. And we don't know who they are. And every one of us would say, and I believe honestly say, that our children are our greatest assets and our greatest resources and our most cherished things we have are the children in our society, whether they were physically our children or just children in general. And yet, when it comes to the candidacy for school boards, we have no idea who these people are. We vote for the name we recognize on a sign or we recognize the name or we've seen it a bunch of times or something. And now that's starting to change because parents are waking up and saying, you know what? Most school boards are really good. It's people that are just concerned in doing the right things for kids. But there are some school boards out there that have really gone way too far to one side or the other. And when I went in to ask them what they were up to, they treated me like dirt, like I was an intruder. As a matter of fact, they're calling me a domestic terrorist because I dared answer, ask a question. In Florida, the Sarasota School District, which is just north of where I grew up, by an hour or so, north of where I grew up, a beautiful part of southwest Florida, um, Siesta Key Beach. It's just a beautiful, very cool place. And uh, they just flipped it's been taken over by a majority of Republican candidates, although they're nonpartisan races. Um, and what they are going to see a big shift in policy on those school districts. And I think you are going to see that in a lot of places, including Arizona. Scottsdale Unified School District would be one of them. I think you are seeing parents who went to ask questions who were treated unreasonably. And if you want to take a parent and make a parent an activist – Do something against their child that they don't agree with and then get in their face about it. And that's what's happening. A couple of headlines. Um, Shocked by what we found. House Republicans demand answers from the governor over alleged sexually graphic children's book in Kentucky. This is crazy to me. This Kentucky mother doesn't know. We've talked about this book before. Not my title. It's the title of the book. The book title is called Gender Queer. And it's an illustrated book, and it's got illustrations of graphic sexual acts throughout the book. And so these parents are saying that's inappropriate in a school library. And this mom was reasonable. Hey, listen, if 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 uh, you want your child to read this book, that's a parent's decision, but it shouldn't be in the school library. They compared her to Hitler because Hitler burned 25,000 books. This this gaslighting of a comparison that when and if you go and look, you can find it online. Go and find that book online and you decide, is that an appropriate book in a school library? That's all. Don't burn the book. Don't get rid of the book. Just don't make it accessible in a school library. If a parent thinks it's valuable for their child, let that parent make the decision. Don't put it in a school library. 
Teachers Union President Defends a District in Minneapolis. This is, uh, once again, in the news twice in one week. Randy Weingarten is back in the news. She is the head of the American Federation of Teachers, defending that in Minneapolis, Minnesota, they have a new contract with teachers that says if teachers have to be laid off, you'll be laid off according to race. White teachers will be laid off first. And she's defending the policy. These are the kinds of things that parents of all races are pushing back on. And I think in the end they're going to win. It's not about all about politics. It's about keeping it out of the classroom and a basic level of education for students. And they're just not getting it. And I think there will be huge changes on school boards. You've got parents' attention, and they are definitely going to come out and do what they believe is right for their children. Just after 10 o'clock, we talked about the housing market shifting a bit, that for the first time in 10 years, housing prices have dropped a bit. How dramatic is it? How bad will it get? Is it going to get bad? And the rest of the economy coming up next.